We, um, we're, we're finishing up our All in Faith series. I was talking to Pam this morning and uh, she told me about the next series. I, f- I feel a little bit like a guest speaker this morning because we've been away for three weeks in a row and uh, I feel like, oh, is this my church, really? Uh, anyway, uh, Pam was sharing about the next series and I, and I realised that my message today is well, it could be in this series, but it could equally be in next series. So it's kind of like a bridge. It's like closing one but introducing the other. And so uh, if we can go straight in to um, that, that other, the small PowerPoint cam. That's okay. Okay, this is the one I wanted. Um, I'm going to be talking about Peter today. And, I, and when it was time to think about Peter and faith, there was a whole bunch of thoughts came to mind. And I can imagine, you know, Peter's mum taking the Polaroids and putting them on the wall, you know, Peter's great triumphs, like, you know, the time he got out of the boat and walked on the water. How cool was that? Who's ever had a go at that secretly? You know, started off with something shallow and thought, I have. (laughs) Yeah. And then there was a time that they were having that conversation with Jesus and Peter sort of jumped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you know. And uh, there's Peter up the top doing that. And then there was that time where Peter was going into the, the temple and here's this beggar, you know, and the whole picked him by the hand and silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. And he raised him up and the guy's legs were strengthened and away he went, you know. I mean, we, we've had the privilege of praying for some people and seeing instant Instant healings of some, ne- never that kind of stuff, you know. But um, And then, then there was a time where Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter healed Tabitha, the, raised her from the dead. And then there was the time at Cornelius' house where he, he broke through and shared faith with the Gentile world. And I thought, well, there's so many fantastic things that I could share about faith from Peter's life. And that God began to, because I began to think, ah, I haven't really walked on the water. And um, I've never really told Jesus anything fantastic, you know, like that, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And well, the guy, the beggar at the gate, that's probably not in my realm of experience. Um, the Tabitha thing, no, that, that hasn't happened. And I thought, what, what can I share today about faith from Peter's life that's going to be really meaningful and helpful? And so I hope today that I'm touching on subject, I, I'm certainly touching on a subject today about faith that I've experienced. And I'm hoping today's subject will help you as well. So if we can throw up the next PowerPoint, if that's okay. This morning we're going to be talking about Peter. We're going to be talking about when faith fails. I'm sure there's some of you sitting there going, yeah, I can relate to this. (laughs) And uh, I certainly can. So we're we're picking the story up in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 34. And then we're going to continue straight away into 56 and through to 60. And I've just got to get my, uh, my PowerPoint thing happening. Okay. So Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. 
You ought to be jumping up and down and going, yes, with that, just that verse. Because it says, Jesus says, Satan has asked permission to do this. Do you realize that whenever Satan is going to do anything to you, he has to get permission from God to do it. Otherwise, he can't do it. God has got you so much in his hand that the devil can't even touch you without God giving the approval. And Paul writes about this and he says, not one of us have been tempted greater than we can cope with because we're in the hand of God. Okay, let's keep reading. But I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Today we're talking about when faith fails. So when you have repented and turned to me again, Strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, (laughs) I'm ready to go to prison for you, to even die for you. Who's ever been there? Where you've had great ambitions about what you're going to do for God. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, sorry, tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So they arrested him and they led him to the high priest's home in verse, sorry, verse 54. And Peter followed, Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. She's obviously seen him in the crowd. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, somebody else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. I, I don't know how they knew he was a Galilean. You know, maybe he had one of those sort of football shirts that said, you know, Galilee and a number on it or something. I don't know. But, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at him and he remembered what Jesus had said to him and he went out and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've ever experienced faith fails, but I've experienced not so much that exact situation, but there's times in my life where I've felt like I've experienced the gaze of Jesus on me in those moments, just like that. And, you, and you just, your heart just sinks and you know, I could have done better. I didn't have to do that. I could have made another choice. And it's just pit of the stomach stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to unpack the verses and... Uh, And see where we go. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is good news. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Let's jump to that that verse there. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all, talking about the disciples, like wheat. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, when you strike the shepherd... 
the sheep will scatter. And I believe Satan came to the Lord and said, this is in the Old Testament. I know you're going to strike the shepherd. I'm going to strike the shepherd. And the sheep are going to scatter. And God says, do your darnest. Have a go at it and see how it works. One of the great things about this whole business, about God allowing the devil to come and put his hand upon our life, upon our faith, it never works out well for the devil. Because I love the bit at the end that says, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. This has got a this is a happy ending story. This is not a sad ending story. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked each one of it. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's in us. This is really important because one of the reasons that why we go under when, when we have a faith failure is that we don't believe there's any way back. Condemnation comes in and we feel bad about ourselves and we think, God must be so disappointed with me. I'm just going to sit down here for a minute because I feel so bad and God can't possibly love me making that kind of a mess. He must be so disillusioned. The good news is that God isn't dis- disillusioned about us because he has no illusions about us in the first place. He knows exactly what we're capable of. He knows exactly what we will do in a given situation. He knows exactly the capacity that we have to prevail at any given time. And loves us still. With an everlasting love. In fact, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. How many? All. What was the condition? Our only condition for coming to Jesus is we've got a problem. <laughs> We're all candidates. We all qualify. And Jesus says, come. Come. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to tap dance. You don't have to perform. You don't have to pass a test. All you've got to do is have a problem. And Jesus says, come. And I'll give you rest. I will be the answer to your problem. See, oh, darn it. It's all right. I had a computer glitch this morning and um, I realised that I got two slides around the wrong way with the heading up the top and the thing down the bottom. It's all right. It's all good for you. It's just my slides here on my thing that are a problem. So, so Jesus knows the beginning from the end. You know, the Bible says that he's the alpha... And the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's, he was there when it began. He's already gone to where it ends and he knows everything in between. And that's why when he says, when Paul says that God has provided grace for us in Christ, Jesus knows exactly what we need today, tomorrow, forever. So when we're going into a circumstance, God has already hidden in Christ all the grace we need to get through that problem. Now, one of the reasons we don't get through is because we don't connect and get the grace from Jesus. And one of the reasons we don't connect 
is Satan has tricked us into thinking that God is unhappy with us. And so we kind of don't come. We're shy to come. Jesus knows what's going on and he knows what needs to be done. Okay, next one up. Jesus cares. Ever met someone who knows but doesn't care? I, I, I sometimes have been that person. Lots of knowledge, but yeah, I don't really care about you. But Jesus is not like that. Just throw that scripture up again. It says, Simon, Simon, I have pleaded with you. Satan came in and he wanted to sift you all like wheat, but Simon... I came and stood in that gap and I have pleaded for you. I have taken up your case. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate is like a lawyer. You know when you, well some of you may not know, some of you may know. When you go into court, you've got to stand before the judge and you have a lawyer, a solicitor, sometimes called an advocate, who comes and stands beside you and pleads your case and if the, if the police shows that I watch on television are true, they will tell you what not to say, what to say, how to present your case in such a way that your case is successful. The Bible says that we have an advocate like that, Jesus Christ the righteous and he pleads our case. Notice the way that verse opens up. It's a really interesting thing. It's happened a couple of times in the New Testament. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. I was looking this up in in the commentaries and they said that the way it's written, it's like like an expression of concern, that that double use of the the first name in the Greek language or, or whatever. The, the Aramaic, probably, that Jesus was speaking. And you'll remember that Jesus did it another time too. Do you remember? Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. It's, it's not a judgment. It's not like Jesus coming in and saying, Peter, Peter, you're about to mess up. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, a care. It's, a, it's an attitude of caring. I remember, I don't know, some of you may have seen it. There was a... Um, a video series about the Bible, probably, I don't know, 20 years ago. Actually, some of you will never have seen it. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, let me find some, um, some grey hairs. Someone remember the series. It was, it was from the book of Matthew, and it was called Matthew. And uh, the, the actor playing Jesus, they referred to him in the press as the smiling Jesus, because he was always smiling and happy and, you know, sh- Making out like he cared for people. <laughs> Who knew? And um, so anyway, there's a, there's a scene where, where, Matthew, where Matthew records Jesus talking to the um, Pharisee and he says, uh, he's talking, it might have been this, the one about why did sepulchres or something like that, you know, which we take to be a real put down. And in this particular scene, this guy's Jesus standing there and he's got the guy behind his head like that, but not, not in a kind of way, in the way that you would touch your child. And he, was, he wasn't 
rebuking him. He was pleading with him because he cares. He knows exactly where you are and he cares about you, your circumstance, your condition more than you'll ever know. Probably more than your mum and dad. He cares about you. Okay, next one. Jesus prays. Whoa. Okay. Simon, Satan's asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded for you in prayer. That's all bad and wrong. Anyway, there you go. The Bible says that he lives to pray for us. I think it's Colossians. Let me get this right. It's Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede for God on their behalf. Jesus is doing one thing at the moment and one thing only. He's currently positioned where? With the Father at his right hand. And he is praying for us. That's all he's doing. He's not worried about the world. He's not worried about Donald Trump. He's not worried about the Middle East. He's not worried about any of that stuff because he knows that God's got all that in control and it's all in his hands and God is working all things after the counsel of his will. So all of that stuff is going to funnel down into the will of God and eventually be sorted. Jesus is not worried about any of that. He's currently sitting at the Father's hand and he's saying, Father, Pam's going to America today and she doesn't know everything that she's going to come into, but I just want to talk to you about these couple of things that that are coming up and God, would you prepare grace for her for that and, and just hide it in me so it's there when she needs it. And the Father says, okay, I'll do that. You know, because he's the father and the father loves the son, etc. God is, Jesus is interceding for us. He's praying for us. The other great thing is he prays according to the will of God. That's kind of excellent. Because the Bible says that when we pray according to the will of God, it gets answered. But if we don't pray according to the will of God, it just kind of bounces off. So we know that Jesus' prayers are going to be successful on our behalf because he prays according to the will of God. But even better than that, the Bible says in John eleven forty two, Jesus is saying, Father, I know you always hear me, but I'm just saying it for these people so they'll feel better about themselves. The Father, his ear is inclined to the prayers of Jesus. It's not like... The Father's sitting on the left hand, Jesus is sitting on the right hand, Jesus is praying about us, and the Father's up there going, oh my goodness, he's praying again. Is there never any an end to us? No, his ear is inclined to Jesus' prayer. He's there wanting to answer the prayers that Jesus is making on our behalf. When, we, when we're facing a faith fail, We need to understand that Jesus knows what we're going through. He cares about what we're going through. He's right now praying for whatever faith fail you're facing over the next couple of days. 
He's prepared grace for you. And then lastly, faith fails and not terminal. Isn't that good news? Faith fails and not terminal. Imagine, Lisa, if we got one shot, just one go at it, you know, and like God says, I'm going to test you, have a go at faith. Okay, I'm going to have a go. Whoops. That's the end of you. Not three strikes and you're out. One strike and you're out. But, but some of us live like it's one strike and you're out, don't we? We think if we have one go at faith and we mess up, God's finished with us. He's not interested anymore. He's looking at us thinking, what a loser. But, but the good news is that when it comes to faith and when it comes to our relationship with God, it's not three strikes and you're out. God just lets, lets us keep hitting until we get it right. We just keep swinging until we hit the ball. We keep kicking until we kick a goal. I could go through a whole litany of sporting metaphors now, but I won't. The good news is that faith fails are not terminal. The Bible says that God is at work within us to will and to work for his own good pleasure and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to forget it. No, he'll be faithful to complete it. He's at work in us to make sure that our faith triumphs. And he's going to let us make as many mistakes as we need to make because he's a father and it's like your kids. Imagine if when your kids were starting to walk, you know, the first step. Well, that's it. This kid's never going to walk. Absolutely useless. Darling, we just get a better, just get ready to buy a series of strollers, ever larger, until we've got one that's able to carry a 15 stone loser of a child who can't walk. Is that the way we behave as parents? No. We laugh when they fall over. We pick them up and we know that one step will turn into two steps and two steps will turn into three steps and pretty soon they're walking to daddy who's five steps away making an absolute idiot of himself and they make it and we celebrate and before we know it, They're running through the house, absolutely trashing the place. And it's all our fault, because we encouraged them in the first place. No, I've got no idea where I'm up to, this stupid thing. I'm I'm never doing this again, Pam. I'm going back to writing on bits of paper. The other thing I want to share you about Faith Fails today is that Our destinies can't be derailed. Jesus says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to do you good, not to harm you. Plans for a future and a hope. When we hit a faith fail, that destiny is not derailed. God's not in heaven with an eraser rubbing out destiny and writing a, a, you know, what do you call it? A, A refined one. I aimed up here for him, so I'm going to rub that one out and I'm going to aim a bit lower. 
No, hang on. No. It's not like that. When, when we fail, listen, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, Simon, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. Just pick up where you left off because I've got a job for you to do. You don't know it yet, but one day you're going to stand on the day of Pentecost. You're going to preach your first sermon ever and thousands of people are going to get saved and the whole world is going to talk about it until I come back. Because faith failures are not terminal to our destiny. God has decided about you. Now, here's the thing. And this is, this is a little bit of the, the transition between next week and this week. And I don't have any slides for this, so this is just, this is just free. I want, to t- I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is real. You know, some of us accept the idea of Jesus. You know, that we like the idea of a Jesus that's praying for us. I mean, I like the idea of a Jesus praying for us, don't you? You know, especially some of the stuff that I get involved with. Maybe I need a Jesus praying for me. Maybe some of you are worse. I saw a, I saw a friend of mine put a post up on Facebook this week and it said, um, uh, this is my guardian angel. She, she's a little worse for wear. And there's this old battered woman, sort of woman angel there, just looking like she'd been through the ringer because she'd been the guardian angel of this girl and had to go through some places that probably angels have never trod before. But nevertheless, we like the idea of Jesus. We accept the idea of Jesus. In fact, sometimes we even admire the ideals of Jesus. And we find this all the time. People that are not in the kingdom, they'll they'll sprout some incredible stuff about what a wonderful teacher Jesus was and how he loved everybody and, and that's the only one they remember, the bit about loving everybody. They never remember any of the other bits and they never quote any of the other bits. But nevertheless, they admire the ideals of Jesus. But God wants us to acquire the imminence of Jesus or that's a, that's a, a kind of a fancy theological word for the indwelling presence of Jesus. God wants Jesus to be a real two-way interactive switch on, switch off, you know, that whole binary thing, zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, click, 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 click. That's how God wants us to live. Need, go to Jesus, prayer answered, go on with life. Need, go to Jesus, prayer answered, go on with life. Now, it's not going to go be zeros and ones because God's more creative than that. But literally, that's what's happening to us. That's how he wants us to live. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that's not just if you're being knocked around by life. That's like, man, I'm really concerned about this. This, You know, my mum's got this problem, and I, you know, Jesus, can you help me? Heard the story about a, 
a boy, just a, a boy that's got some difficulties. And um, he said to his mum, Mum, do you think, do you think at school they could just pray with me and ask Jesus to help me when I'm in my difficulties? Imagine if we lived like that. Do you think maybe I could just pray and ask God? You know, Jesus is real. Sometimes we have Jesus as an idea, as a nice kind of theory. Sometimes we have Jesus as a set of ideals. You know, just love one another, just be patient, just be kind, just be all the things that we see Jesus. In fact, as a church, I gotta say, not North Lakes, I'm talking about the church per se. Over the years, we have been guilty of teaching people that. Just try and be good like Jesus' example. Here's the example. In the old days, you used to be able to just pick up someone's Bible and give it to them. Excuse me. Here's the example. Just read it and live up to it. That's all you've got to do. You'll be all right. Couple of righteous acts. No worries. Except the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say a couple of righteous acts is your hope of glory. It doesn't say being a good dad and being a good husband is your hope of glory. It says Christ in you is your hope of glory. In other words, is your hope of being with him forever. Jesus is real. And he wants to engage us on a daily basis. This sounds like we've gone back to Jesus every day. I love the way all this stuff just builds and builds and builds and we come back and revisit and we tie it all in so we understand that at North Lakes we're not just coming up with a new series so you don't get bored in church. We've got something new to teach you. We go, hang on. This all-in faith stuff kind of clicks into Jesus every day. Whew. Who knew? And when we go on to the next series about encounters with Jesus, we're going to look at some New Testament encounters with Jesus. We're going to learn more about how we can encounter Jesus in our daily life and bring his goodness and his power and his grace into our immediate situations.